Hello and welcome to Lady Time, a podcast on midlife. I am your host, Carol Fitzpatrick, and my guest today is Fiona Neary. Fiona Neary is a freelance consultant supporting organizations, teams, and people to develop, adapt, and remain strategic. She has three decades' experience at senior level in the not-for-profit sector, including delivery of national strategy, oversight, and leading EU-wide projects with up to 28 partner agencies, and has represented Ireland at both EU and UN levels. Fiona brings proven expertise in organization systems, structures, and change management. Recent consultancy includes delivery of feasibility studies for both local authorities, government departments, strategic support for senior management of third-level institutions, governance support to NGOs and to art agencies. She's also produced a play recently. She writes, she has many strings to her bow. Fiona, you are very, very welcome. Thank Thanks, you. Carol. Thanks, Carol. It's a pleasure. Yeah. yeah. That's a serious biog. Very impressive. Well done. It's hard to keep a straight face hearing it. But yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, nothing about my midlife is how I thought it would be. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about your midlife. What were your uh, feelings and what was foremost in your mind as you approached menopause and midlife? Um. Oh, I suppose there's so many things. It, it, it's, it was a provocative time. My 40s were provocative because I had always thought I'd have children and I didn't have children. And I was made redundant from a very big career. And at the same time that a, a, a long-term relationship collapsed. And that had been my first time in that relationship being, well, the, you know, we need more language around step parenting because in that relationship, I was the partner of someone who had adult-ish children. So you certainly don't have a parenting role. I love that phrase they have on the continent the bonus family you know you go out with someone and this is the bonus their children are the bonus mm-hmm. um so yeah there were massive changes in my 40s so then going into my 50s I had the a very humbling experience of learning to online date when you're sober and in your 50s <laughs> <laughs> and the menopause um what was that like what was that like I couldn't imagine online dating. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. It's, um, I think you, I think, first of all, as a woman in my 50s, I'm really grateful it exists because it widens the pool. You know, I live in the west of Ireland. Um, it widens out the pool. And also as someone who um, I identify as bisexual, but hadn't been in a relationship with a woman for a long time and felt that that wasn't on the cards again. And so, it, but just having the opportunity to, to have access to a wider pool through internet dating. But of course, the last time I'd been single, none of this stuff existed and I hadn't grown mm. up with it. So, um, yeah, it brought up and it triggered a lot of my vulnerabilities um, around how I'd be seen. And I suppose because I've done some recovery work. I had a sense of what's the stuff, what are my triggers, what pushes my buttons. And if you don't take care of them, they'll come out in some really weird way. So the things I felt vulnerable around were my age um, 
and that my life had been not always mainstream. So I was like, all right, I'm going to address this head on. You know, so my, I don't know, you have to give yourself a name or a byline or something. So mine yes. was old sea hag. <laughs> old sea hag seeks partner in crime or partner in adventure. You know, I wanted to make it really clear uh get let's get past the age let's get the age stuff up there you know yes um, not pretend that you're 30 something even though you look at you know that, you know, like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the roller you know then there's learning how to do online dating um and realizing you know it's a complete roller coaster and all the rest of it but I I you know um I was up for it I, I was honest enough with myself to know it's important to me to have a partner you know that even though I've had difficult endings of relationships or whatever um I want a relationship in my life enough that it's a priority and I'll go back out there to have a relationship in my life you know and brilliant very yeah. courageous Fiona very uh, that's great great to know yourself isn't it it's great to know what you want and what you don't want and then to venture into something like online dating in your family. I know yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then you know there was the menopause and all of that and um, what was that like Oh, sure. Of course, Miss Macho here. I thought, I oh, know I'll be one of the women. I'm not going to make, I won't be a big deal. I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to be tough with the menopause, you know, and then the menopause came and said, ah, ah here, darling. So <laughs> at, fir- at first I thought I'd, I'd gotten through it easy where my periods just stopped and I'd always had a very easy cycle. Um, you know, light enough, manageable bleeding and pretty regular. The pill at times had really helped me become very, very regular in my cycle, which was great. Um, but what's but after a short period of not menstruating, uh, I began to have entirely unpredictable, very heavy bleeding, and oh. which uh, and prolonged bleeds that could happen at any time. So I was beginning to have what I called the little menopause bag all the time. I always had to have pads and tampons with me if I left the house because I never knew when I was going to have bleed and I never knew how heavy it would be. And I did one time have the most embarrassing thing in a restaurant where I bled through my clothes and into the seat of the chair. And nothing like that had ever happened to me before. And I was wearing a pad or a tampon, whichever. And, you know, just how to manage that in public. So my sister said to me, what did you do? And I just said, I hid it as best I could. Um, Like in hindsight, actually, I would do it differently. I would now go, now I would go and speak to a member of staff about it, actually. Um, But at the time I was mortified. So (laughs) I hid it as best I could, as you do, as us women are trained to hide our blood and our bleeding, you know. Yes. And I left a very big tip. (laughs) 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 You know, and I (laughs) and I managed not to die of embarrassment. And then um the hot flushes I didn't mind very much, and someone truly wonderful had bequeathed me her fan. Ellen Craddich had bequeathed to me her menopause fan. I wish you mind me saying that. So, you know, it was like passing along the lineage. 
But then, so I didn't particularly mind the hot flushes, but when it began to affect my sleep, um, and I've had issues before with insomnia triggering a lot of anxiety and having to take medication around that. So I just thought, okay, I went and talked to my GP who was fabulous. My mother had died of breast cancer. So that was a factor in the picture, but it turned out that um, HRT and breast cancer are not as unfriendly with each other as I had thought. Mm -hmm. So I went down the road of the marina coil um, supported by the patch with the other hormone. And it's been an absolute delight. Great. Yeah. The two things I don't like is you change the patch on different days. You change it every, you change it twice a week. So, and also the, the bit, the the patch can look grubby. I don't like that. (laughs) Yeah. I was saying to a friend, I like having my belly kissed and I don't like that this patch looks a bit grubby after a day or two. So I know. Yeah. So I have to figure that one out. Someone told me put Vaseline around it. You know, our women's network where we all t- share our tips. Someone said if you put Vaseline over it, but that didn't work. So I have to figure that one out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's brilliant. And, and is it hard to remember the days to take it off and change it? Or do you remember? OK, I do remember pretty OK. You know, it's Thursdays and Sundays for me. OK. Um, and but I messed it up when I was trying, I have to remind myself of travel is, you know, but like other medication I've taken or used, it has different. It's either been every day or once a week or whatever. So this is just a different one to get used to. Yeah, that's great. That's great. And thank you for being so honest. Um, and, and, and that's helped your sleeping, has it? The- oh yeah. Because what was happening for me is when I, when I got the coil, before I got the coil, I was having the sweats at night where it is that thing of you, I would sleep through the sweating through my clothes, the heavy sweat, mm-hmm. but then it, when that, when that goes cold, the, the sweat then goes cold. And that was what was waking me up was the cold. Okay. And you yes. know, I'd, I'd have sweated to the extent I'd have to get up and change my clothes. Mm. Um, so your sleep then is being interrupted and so the marina coil changed that that brought that made that much more manageable and they stopped but it but what it wasn't sufficient um my sleep gen was still I, I then my sleep just became very disrupted from I don't know some of the menopause stuff yes. and um differently so that's why I started using the patch So I went from being, you know, I'm going to do an easy menopause. I've always had easy periods. This is going to be fine to, oh, my God, no, I'm going the medical route. Thank you, science. I love you. And thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, great. That's great. I had never heard that the marine coil could be used for that. Only I've only met friends who use it for contraception. So that's really interesting that you use it for their hormonal um, yeah, because it has a uh, it has teeny weeny dose of estrogen in it. Okay, but obviously enough to do the job. So then, if you have to have the patch as well, this is probably the worst explanation ever. It, then you have the other hormone <clears throat> in the patch. Progesterone, so, is it? I think. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's 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 great, and I think we all seem to think, uh, uh, you know, yeah, no. 
menopause isn't going to affect me. I'm going to do it differently. But like you say, it just shows up and none of us know how it's going to show up, what yeah. it's going to mean to us and how we'll deal with it. And I love the way you thank science for it. That's brilliant. Yeah. Is <laughs> <laughs> like all is it really helps so many women. And actually, you know, there's many, I must investigate it a bit further, but there's many pluses to HRT, not just oh, yeah. uh, not just and I, physical. I do symptoms. seem to be someone that with mainstream medicine, um, I generally get away with very few side effects. I'm, mm. I'm quite lucky that way. I seem to respond well to medication and I have never experienced much impact from uh, alternative therapies, uh, you know, other than okay. other yeah. than, than counselling and therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think I'm, I'm very lucky that I don't generally have side effects. Um, and of course, also because the other thing where place, I mean, I, our health service has is challenged in multiple ways, but I think we're very, very lucky around the breast cancer stream yes. of our health service. Mm. So I've just been called, I have a mammogram later this week because of the history of breast cancer in the family. Um, so again, it's another one of those ones where it didn't save my mother's life. Um, and obviously the around the chemo and all that, you know, it's in trying to kill the disease, it practically kills the patient, but it did yes. give her many more years of quality life. Um, right. so, and I'm again, very appreciative to be in the breast check system in Ireland, uh, which functions very well. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. I, I have yet to go at breast check, but my, I have a great doctor. She's a similar age to me. And obviously she has a lot of clients, well, a few clients who've had breast cancer. So as soon as I hit 43, she's like, right, you're going yeah, to get yeah. checked. And she sends me every year or every two years to get yeah. breast checked. And then breast check will catch up and start hopefully soon sending me my appointments. But yeah, it's good. I mean, it's uncomfortable, but it's good to do. Yeah. Yeah. So important. I'm very sorry you lost your mum to breast cancer, but delighted to hear she got a few more years that uh, than she would have had. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And she was a great character. You know, she was from and this is the thing, you know, if I anything of relevance to pass on, I think it would be, you know, do some of your self-awareness and recovery stuff earlier. Mm. You know, find someone good and do some work just around your family of origin and the environment you grew up in and how that has set you up well or not, you know. Um, So I came from a family that was very stoic and practical um, and not particularly emotional and expressive. So I really had to learn. I'm still learning. You know, I had to learn how to, uh, you know, okay, the practical focus is great having that practical ability is great, but I really had to tune in then to, you know, how to be vulnerable, how the softer side of things. Um, And, you know, learning that lesson of, as I could risk to show my vulnerability, and oh my God, and the discomfort of that, you know, but you meet the other people who can meet you in that place. Um, and they have been very rich relationships in my life, you know. So, yeah. And I think the other thing, my mother died at at seventy one. Um, so you know, it's well and well and truly an adult. 
Um, but what it had brought home to me, well, you know, so I'm 54 now. So, you know, if my mother's trajectory is anything to go by, what is that? That's less than 20 years on the clock. So who knows? It might be longer, but it might not. Yes. So, you know, just about having that on your shoulder as well, to some extent, you know, what do you want to do with your time? If this this is what you have, you know? Absolutely. So it's so rich, all the things you're saying, and there's so much in that, Fiona. I think think you're right. There are people who will meet you at your vulnerability. And I, as I notice in life as well, some people who are very, you know, happy in their lives or whatever maybe they're at the job a top end job and they're you know evolved in certain ways are very okay with vulnerability you know uh I think I don't know what I'm saying here but I think I've met people who are who you don't imagine yeah okay with their emotional uh, uh, vulnerability and who are so okay with it and I think you're working at a very high level with uh organizations I think it's great to have that in yourself that you have done this work to have done that personal work with your emotions because you're probably going to see in the most unlikely places emotion and vulnerability showing up and if you haven't done that work um you wouldn't you wouldn't allow it to be or you wouldn't exactly exactly I'd be blocking it somehow you know it is something about getting comfortable in your own skin getting comfortable with your limits Mm-hmm. Um, and getting some sense of the things you're not aware of. Like, I do remember a counselor asking me at one point, you know, about being competitive. And in that moment of counseling, I went st- straight into my defensiveness and I was like, oh, no, 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 that doesn't resonate. And then I don't know when later I was doing the washing up or something, and I just got the giggles. And I was like, oh my God, you idiot you are competitive. What are you like? What is this not being able to own that you're competitive? And so then you start to make peace with that and you can start to ask yourself, well, what is it I'm trying to win? And in, and, in, and for what audience am I trying to win? Mm-hmm. You know, you can start to have these conversations with yourself and hopefully with other people where you can then just look at, well, what am I trying to win and for whom? And um, and if there's part of me that's competitive and there is, where am I going to play that out in my life in a good way so that it doesn't yes. get smothered, so that it gets air? And then how am I going to recognize the spaces where it's really not helpful and needs to be let go? And it also meant reflecting on... It also brought to mind uh, something about being in fourth year in school, uh, fourth class in school. And because I'd moved from our England to Ireland uh, during primary school, I was way ahead on some stuff. And I got used to being um, near the top on things in my marks. But then this girl came from America and she was better than me at some stuff. And I hated it. And I think there were times when I was quite mean to her. You know, so you also have to come to terms. I, I don't think I bullied her, but I think it was close to it, you know. Um, and maybe I did bully her and be open to that. You know, did I bully her when I was in my competitiveness? And, you know, I would love to meet her again now and have that conversation with her and say, I was I a complete bitch to you? Because I certainly wasn't nice at times. And so you get to do those explorations of yourself. 
Um, Great. Well, what amazing. That that's that's incredible, Fiona. Well done from one question yeah. to explored all those different things and then to use it as a tool. Well, what am I doing where, you know, how can it be helpful and how is it not helpful? I think that takes great courage to to look at the bit where the shadow bit, where where am I using it and it's not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm beginning to be able to recognize something rising and you go, okay, this is my compete. This part of my ego wants to compete now. Mm-hmm. Is that useful now or not? And I got, mm-hmm. and usually it's not unless I'm in the gym or trying to force myself to run up a hill or whatever. Uh, and sport is not my best friend, you know, bring it there or take it to a table quiz, take it somewhere where it can have free reign and be that competitive mother, you know, and then there's other places where it's just not helpful. Let it go. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, so it can be fun. It can be fun. Yeah. competitive, And when you know it, it's, you know, if you're like, I remember years ago playing cards with people and they were like, oh, my God, I didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course I am <laughs> it can be great fun but like you say if it's harmful yeah it's, har- it's harmful for you as much as anybody else if it yeah is, yeah yeah harmful way. yeah um wow so uh that's great and Fiona what can I ask you is do you know has been your greatest challenge in life so far oh Christ <laughs> <laughs> where do Easy I question. start <laughs> I mean I don't know what my fantasy was when I was younger about how things would be down the road, but God, it's so different. I I did always think I'd have children. So not having children was a biggie. Mm. Um, And that's a journey in and of itself. Um, And the choices you make along the way that you don't quite think will take you where you are taken then you know and making peace with that you did an article on that recently did you did you do it in the times on being um a foster sibling you know about children yeah and uh actually i have i have written about so i was the eldest child in a family of three and when i was in my early teens my family started fostering well my mother made the decision my dad had nothing to do with it you know with the decision he was uh, great as a foster dad and then we fostered an awful lot of kids so um kids around me from you know babies coming from hospital to teenagers arriving in the back of a squad car was very was a normal part of our lives so i had thought that kind of family bustle would be part of my life you know and then things happen and I'm not the thing I do know is you know relationships end I've had I seem to be a bit of a serial monogamist um but relationships do end and that takes you to places also you didn't think you'd be going um and I think what I one of the things I noticed in hindsight was I I was reluctant to go down the road of being a single parent or, you know, that option was beginning to be available to women in Ireland. And I probably could look at that one a bit more. But then there's the situation of having partners who have children, but they're not your children. And do you, yes, so you've been in that position where your partner kids. Yes. How is that role? The stepmother? The stepmother. Well, you're not a mother for a start. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, 
And I don't know if anyone has seen that series, Bonus Family. It's Danish or Dutch or, you know, one of those series from the continent where after a few episodes, you sp- you think you fluently speak Swedish, but you don't. You know? <laughs> anyway, it's this wonderful term and it's bonus family, you know, because you're dating someone or, you know, you, you have their bonus family. So my last partner had children and my current partner has children again between the ages of 18 and 30, 18 and 23. So I think what I really have learned is you are not necessarily important in the lives of these young adults as much as you might want to be. You know, they have parents for quite a while they won't know how long you're going to be around for this may turn out to be a long-term relationship but you and them don't know that Mm -hmm. um so it's fragile in the sense of we don't know each other we're getting to know each other why on earth would they like you they don't know you you know Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's it's uh, it really is a backseat role you're not going to be one of the primary relationships in their lives. And and yet you might be a very important relationship. You know, it would. You might. And there's that, that possibility. Yes. But there's also the possibility you might not be. They have yes. a mother. They have a father. Yeah. They have their aunts and uncles that they've had all their lives. And now you come in uh, as their, and well, in my situation, as they're going into their adult life. And yes, you're now part of the picture. And you're a latecomer to the picture. And there's things that you can pass on and all the rest of it. But they're not going to be a substitute for the children you didn't have. Or, you know, you're not going to have anything like parenting or even an aunt or uncle relationship with them because you're not any of them. So if it happens, great. I'm not opposed to any of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I have my nieces whom I drive demented. And my godchildren, whom I really drive to mentors, you know, but these children are not that. And yet, as you meet each of them in their uniqueness and their wonderfulness and their shyness, you know, it's so lovely to be around that. Yes. Um, it, you know, so it's all of that. Yes. Yeah. Well, what's, it's great. Again, your awareness is fantastic, Fiona, because you're not expecting to be the mother role there. It just... You know, yeah, I yeah, I suppose it is that thing of, um, yeah, I don't know, you, you can't assume that you're going to mean more to them than you do. You might. And that's wonderful. Mm. Um, but yeah, tre- treading carefully there, really, I think. Um, and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> taking a back seat in the relationship. I mean, because I used to work with you many moons ago, many moons ago, and you were always a leader. You're always oh, Fiona. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, taking a back seat. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that's part of learning. You know, I'm the eldest child that sets you up for certain things. I'm yes. the eldest child in a family that move. You know, my my parents were immigrants to London. And then back. So that does things to you as well in terms of Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in Ireland. I did grow up somewhere more multicultural, more blah, blah, blah. So I was opinionated. (laughs) Always good. (laughs) I had opinions. I wasn't shy about expressing them, which was very different to Irish children. Yes. Yes. Um, 
and then we fostered a load of kids so it, which was in the 80s so you see things when you're fostering you witness a lot of trauma from mm. a very young age and at that point in time those traumas and those crimes against children were not being spoken about publicly so again you're, you're at odds from the community around you because you're aware that children are being very harmed in their family and it wasn't at that time it wasn't spoken about anywhere um, so you would have become aware of sexual abuse then probably I'm only saying that because I know when I'm one of my my best friend as a child her family used to foster and that's some that's the first time I heard the word incest was two little girls arrived and they were we were told well I was my friend was told but she told me that they had come from a situation where they were survivors of incest. So it was, it was very big learning very early, I'm sure. Wow, it was interesting that they used that language with her. Yes. Um, yeah. Because I know for us at times, and maybe I'm a bit older than your friend, I don't know what age she was. We started fostering around, what would it have been, very early 80s, like 1980 or 81, something like that. They often didn't have the language to explain to us what was going on as what, what at the time were called the birth children in the house. So often, you know, often there, I don't think I had an awareness around, so I was about 13. It was later before I knew about stuff, or about stuff about sexual abuse. But even from all the babies coming in, we knew there were all these, at the time they were called unmarried mothers and all their babies were coming into our house and being adopted somewhere nobody talked about this mm. um and then as older children began to come into the house um and you would know that things really were not okay in their family with their parents or whatever but you wouldn't necessarily have the language around that or what the words were mm. but again it wasn't in the media like i remember the first episode of eastenders was on channel four the new channel which had gay people and all that stuff um, and EastEnders was on the telly and EastEnders had a young woman who had a child and wasn't married, but she wasn't called an unmarried mother. She was called a single parent because it was an English series. And I think it was the first time I had ever seen a single parent depicted on television. And, yeah. um, and, and but we had been fostering babies of unmarried mothers, as they were called in Ireland, except they weren't talked about. And where these babies came from and went to wasn't talked. So I think that made me quite lippy as well in terms of pushing and pushing around the things we're not talking about. Mm. Um, and, but I was often very inarticulate around it and just angry and stompy, you know, <laughs> as you do be. <laughs> yes, as you do be at that age. Well, yeah. so you were opened up very opened up to a world very early on about our yeah. culture that was under the carpet, if you know, under the rug. Yeah. All the secrets um, of what wasn't been spoken about. And then you got into your work in with NGOs or no, shortly after that, probably as a young adult. When I met you, you were working in yeah. NGOs. Yeah, I think I went to a place where, and again, it's years before you can understand any of this. Um, I think what did traumatize me growing up in a family that fostered 
was not so much witnessing the trauma of the children, the older children then as they came in from different family situations. And obviously that was high impact and not without trauma. But I think what actually did traumatize me was seeing us as a community not looking after these children well enough. You know, the system around these very, the most vulnerable of children, it wasn't enough that they had a family to foster them. It, it, it just wasn't enough and so much needed to happen. And I think that's what really got at me and why I became an activist and an advocate. And I already had a strong voice. So it was about where to take it, you know, but then my recovery and self-awareness was taking time to reflect on that, on all of that. So it wasn't just so knee jerk and reactive and gaining more insight into it, I suppose. Um, yeah. 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 Great. Well, what, what started out young helped us as a society because you became a voice for uh, women. Yeah, I mean, at that time, when you look at it now, Carol, it was ludicrous. And you're a bit younger than me. So I think you were also quite young in getting involved in rape crisis and activism. When I look back on it now, I was involved in setting up a rape crisis centre in the west of Ireland when I was 23. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You know, but at the time. In a very rural part of the west of Ireland. Yeah, but way too young, way, way too young, you know, and I think that was the thing. I didn't know how to look after myself. Mm -hmm. I was an expert on looking after others, really expert on looking after others in a sense of I just did it automatically. But that doesn't mean you always do it well, you know. Sure. But um, I've learned how to do that better. But I was very not good at looking after myself and not having good boundaries and stuff like that you know that was the stuff that came later and that I had to learn um you know and absolutely we gave an awful lot of ourselves back then I do know when you're in your 20s you have a lot to give you have a lot of energy yeah and you know you used it well Fiona but I thanks (laughs) you had to come back and learn how to like myself learn how to mind yourself learn how to to look after yourself yeah and it's interesting now you know the experience of being made redundant as well it did that turned me upside down and mm. again it, 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 it hit my confidence very fast in terms of I was made redundant at a time that there wasn't a lot of other work mm. um, so I was unemployed for a while in my late 40s and was very surprised at how fast it began to hit my confidence. Um, <clears throat> because before that, you were you were um, you were you were uh, the chief executive of the or uh, yeah of the national crisis network. network. Yes, yeah. yeah. So um, and you had been that for what ten years or more? Yeah, yeah. And very much used to being the go-to person and being mm-hmm. relevant. You know, you're in current yes. affairs. People come to you, you know, you're very yes. relevant. And you were on the radio a lot, on the telly a lot. You were the Yeah, voice. a lot of media, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of involvement in the media and learning how to be a very different kind of communicator. You know, going from, you know, being an activist is one way of communicating and then being in the media 
and current affairs, you know, you know, a lot of work around uh, comms and that whole side of things around messaging. And I, after that, I taught communications in Maynooth for a while on a fantastic course, which wow. was, yeah, it was, it's the community and youth work in Maynooth where a lot of the students have come in through different access avenues. Great. So people who don't typically get to third level, um, people who've had not had the opportunity to have a continuous and supported education route, people who may have had time in prison or been known to the authorities, that wonderful phrase, um, and being able to work with them around uh, communications and what does that mean and how do you get your message across and of course how much all that has changed with social media platforms um yeah so well that's great work as well so did that come after your period of unemployment then when or was that before it was after and it felt like a lifeline someone Mm. saying could you do this and you know uh just go oh my god I'm not sure you know I'd begun to doubt a lot um after that period of unemployment Yes, I imagine it really affected your identity because your identity was very wrapped up with the roles that you played and a great leader and a great leadership role. But then to be the opposite end to, did you have to get the dole? I presume you did. I don't know. Oh yeah, going down to the post office to sign on and even feeling really embarrassed about taking the money. Yes. Um, And that was really interesting as well. And all the stuff now about feeling so wealthy and privileged because you own your home and the bank is not going to be able to take it off you that you know you have that security and now working with people in their 30s where you're mentoring or supporting or you know um and their lives are so utterly different you know being around mm-hmm. women now around the, you know to, around the ages of 34 37 and because our situation is so crazy. They're not thinking about having children, even where they have partners and stable relationships or they're on their own or whatever. Because of housing insecurity, they're, they're not even, the whole thing about children and a family has just been pushed back. Um, yeah. And their lives are so different. And for those of them who are activists, they're also thinking about the impact of having children on the planet and where we are with all that, you know. Um, is a very different space for them uh, to what it was for us at that time. Um, and what I find is that I'm sometimes I, I have don't have a lot to, you know, my 20s and 30s were very different to what it's like now. What I do find I can bring to the table in mentoring or, or around that age group is I'm good at helping other people to see their strengths when they're not always clear what they are and, you know, really just signaling to someone, you know, no, you're really good at this. You know, just know that play into that. You're really good. If you do want to look at some stuff, it might be around this and that that's up to you, you know, but sometimes with younger people, and it's really funny referring to people in their thirties as younger people. Yes, (laughs) they are now. Sometimes what I feel I bring to them and can be as useful to them is just to signal to them, make sure they know what they're really good at that I can see, you know, mirror that to them and just say, never worry about this or that. You've got it. You're very good on this, you know, 
Um, but in terms of what their, their struggles in their lives or what's going on for them, it's very, very different to what we had, I feel. Um, yes, yeah. yeah. It's changed a lot, a lot's changed in the last 10, 20 years, you know, probably for many reasons, but the big recession we went through and yeah, a lot has changed. A lot has yeah. changed. Fiona, I'm conscious of time. We'll need to, I'll ask you one more question, but I think I need to have you back on because I haven't asked you. <laughs> I'm dying to hear about your work um but yeah so I I will if you don't mind uh ask you again to come back on you're very interesting I love listening to you and I'm sure our listeners will too um any visions and hopes for yourself and dreams for the future it's really funny I teach uh team management now and supervising staff and as part of that Sometimes I show a video clip and, you know, when you've seen a thing a million times, um, but every time I watch it, it does speak to me differently. But this time, much to my surprise, the phrase from it that leapt out at me was, what would you do differently if you weren't afraid? And Mm -hmm. that was the one that resonated differently this time. And that's the one I've been playing with lately. So I have it stuck on a sticker so it's in my eye line every now and again and I I think what I wish for myself is to keep noticing things like that you know what resonates and when I might need to change my thinking again or whatever but that's the one that's speaking to me at the moment you know what would you do if you weren't afraid that's what I'm playing with these days and that's brilliant because yes what 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 fear is such a blocker you know yeah so much and yeah, like you said earlier, we're on, you know, in your 50s, we don't know if we'll be here in 25 years time. So yeah. that's the, what would I do in this time if I wasn't afraid? Yeah. Brilliant. I love it. Fiona Neary, thank you so much for coming on. You're so interesting. And we must meet up, actually. I haven't seen let's have a, let's have a dirty glass of wine soon. Yeah. <laughs> Although I haven't been drinking much lately at all the last well, week. Well, that was the other thing with the menopause. Yes. I have to get that in before the yeah. end. It's, Dude, so un- it's so unfair. My <laughs> alcohol tolerance has evaporated with the menopause. Yeah. Mine too. Oh, mine too. I, I can be a good thing sometimes, but yeah, I'd love to meet you for a glass of wine. Let's stay in touch. And thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'd love to have you on again, Fiona. Oh, not at all. Lovely. Lo- a pleasure to be invited. My first Thank ever you. podcast. Oh, really? Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. You're a, a, a podcast virgin till now. Yes. <laughs> so this is Carol Fitzpatrick signing off on Lady Time. If you liked what you heard today, please let your friends know and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening.